is happening, NBA fans? Uh, my name is Matt Nost, and I am the host of Dropping Dimes, and welcome in to another edition of Sweet Sweet Discussion of NBA Action. Um, so today I want to talk about, or at least open by talking about, uh, what everybody's kind of talking about right now, which is this historic run by Steph Curry. It's really impressive to watch. Um, for those longtime listeners, last year and this year, and thankfully this year it's been borne out, I wanted to see what Curry would be like with James Harden's usage, uh, usage rate from Houston. You know, would his efficiency be able to carry through that kind of workload when you have to do it all on your own? And uh, so this year we finally got a glimpse of that. Um, you know, Harden did it for years where he was the primary getting 30, you know, 30 some odd percent usage rate where a third of all plays either ended in a shot attempt by him, a turnover or a free throw. Um, so finally we get to see this with Curry. And this is what I've been wanting because it also helped me evaluate Harden's time in Houston does carrying an offensive load like that, you know, lead to a reduction in overall efficiency in numbers, or is it the case where Harden's, you know, a volume shooter, he's still amazingly effective, but the fact that Steph is more efficient, can that efficiency hold out when put under the, the weighted pressure of just needing to be everything for your offense? And by and large, he is. So if you look at this this run that he's gone on as of late, it's starting when basically he came back uh, and has been playing pretty consistently since the end of March. It's March 29th was his first game back after DMPs and inactives, um, which was five games, I want to say, off the top of my head. So he's averaging 40 points a night over that stretch. His total points is 440, 440 points over those games. Now, 440 beats second place since March 29th, which is Doncic, by 97 points. 97, he scored 97 more points than all those other players below him. And it's in one to two fewer games than the next six guys on the list. So 440, he's averaging 40 a night. Here are the numbers he's put up. 32, 36, 37, 41, 32, 38, 53, 42, 33, 47, and 49. That is ridiculous over this stretch. And the fact of the matter is, Outside of Wiggins, who's been the most consistent second fiddle, um, they've needed an assortment of random players here and there to step up and provide any kind of offensive punch to help. Some nights it's Kelly Oubre. James Wiseman has chipped in and out, although he's now out hurt. Draymond Green has gotten into double digits uh, a handful of times. I can think of one in particular off the top of my head. 
um, you know, Looney with Wiseman out might be able to give you some. He's more a defensive presence for you. Um, and if you look at the numbers, the team falls off a cliff when Curry is not on the floor. Um, I think the difference between when Harden did this with the Rockets and what Steph is doing right now is the supporting cast in Houston was stronger overall than what Steph is working with in Golden State. Um, and I'm not knocking any of those guys, just, you know, some of them are very young and very new to the NBA. Um, like Juan Toscano Anderson doesn't have much run, but they've got a bevy of individuals like that with just a handful of experience under their belt. And now they're tasked with running with a future hall of famer and trying to keep pace with them. Um, so the 440 points over those games, he is, this is where he's, he's leading the league since March 29th for this crazy run, right? So he's leading the league in total points. And mind you, you know, that's over 11 games. So just about everybody else around him on this list has played 11 or 12 games, or pardon me, 12 or 13 games. So he's done it in one to two fewer games than everybody else, what I'm about to rattle off. He is leading the league in points, total points, and average. Uh, field goal attempts, he has 259 field goal attempts. Uh, that's five more than second place, once again, in one to two fewer games than the next six guys. Um, field goal makes, 139. So it's by 14 over second place. And once again, in one to two fewer games, three point attempts, 157. And that's 45 more than the next guy. 45 more. Then three point makes 78, which is 28 more than the second place guy. And, you know, all these are one to two fewer games than everybody else on the list. Yeah, free throw attempts, he's third over this run. Uh, Joel, having only played eight games, is first in free throw attempts. He goes, Joel, DeMar's beaten him by one, uh, although DeMar's got an extra game on him. And then, so, and that's uh, Embiid. Embiid gets more foul calls than anybody else. I mean, it's it's a nonstop trip to the, the foul line for him. And uh, by and large, you know, he's garnering a lot of these just because he's so big and unstoppable. And at the same time, Joel B falls to the ground more than any big man I've ever seen. <laughs> he's always constantly. Now, on some regard, it's probably smart because if you're coming down in the air and whatnot, you don't want to roll an ankle um, as big as he is. You need to protect your lower extremities. Uh, that being said, you will see him on the hardwood more than any other player uh, of his caliber in the league. Um, but anyway, back to he is shooting 54.1% from the field, 49.7 from three, 49.7 and 90.1 from free throw. So three tenths away from 50, 40, 90 within this. And he's third highest in usage rate, which is 36 
uh, 0.7. And just to give you a reference point, the league average is 20%. So more than a third of all possessions go to him. And the fact of the matter is, you could tune into any number of podcasts right now extolling the virtues of, of what Steph is doing and how incredible this is to watch. And what it got me thinking about while I was watching this is knowing that there's a distinct expiration on this overall. Steph's 33. Like with a lot of the preeminent stars in the league right now, he's getting up there in age. And how many more seasons do we have to be able to watch this? And is it is it going to be him toiling for right now? They're in the ninth seed. Uh, they're one game back of Memphis. Is it going to be this for the next couple of years? And that's his slow fade out uh, from the league. I, I certainly hope not. I thoroughly enjoy watching Steph and, and the Warriors. But overall, the NBA has this. LeBron doesn't have many years left. Uh, KD, you know, uh, injuries may or may not be catching up with, with him. He's out with a contusion right now. He got kneed in the leg really hard, um, which sometimes you bounce back from that really quickly. And other times, uh, those things last. I got Charlie horsed once on a basketball court, and I had from a guy going to make a pass, and he whipped his hand and wrapped my uh, my thigh with like you know his knuckles, and I had a knot in my muscle for a couple months. It was just maybe it was the perfect spot, or it was right when my muscle was flexing and I, I don't know entirely, but it lasted for a long time. And I had this weird, you know, uh, lump and sore spot there. And the fact of the matter is, is Durant doesn't bounce back because from injuries quickly, because he's an older guy at this point. Um, so you got Curry and LeBron and Durant, uh, you know, Harden has an expiration date Kawhi's got an expiration date. A lot of these top apex predators in the league who have been the face of the league have anywhere from like three to possibly five seasons left. And you look at the next crop of guys coming in behind them, and there's definitely some interesting ones, but do any of them elicit the joy a non-fan of the team gets from watching them the way Steph does? There's a couple. There are. There are distinctly a couple. I would say Luca. I would say uh, Zion. Um, I guess hypothetically Jason Tatum, but Jason Tatum is so even keel that I'm not entirely sure um, if he really gets that. I'm not much of a Trey Young fan, so I just don't like his body language and the way he carries himself, and his teammates like him and don't like him simultaneously. Um, possibly you could say Donovan Mitchell, uh, or Jalen Brown. Um, I'm a huge fan of De'Aaron Fox and Jamal Murray, but will they be able to catch or capture rather the attention 
the way Steph does, or possibly like a John Morant, although his three-point shooting has fallen off a cliff this year. I think he's shooting like 26%. Um, but, I mean, there were some, some guys coming in, but watching Curry put up just these incredible numbers and... It's weird because it's 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 got a bittersweet tinge as I watch it. Like there's he doesn't have many of these seasons or performances left. Now I could be wrong, but a guy in his size, usually once they lose their step, they're no longer as effective. And I say usually like if you look at the case of Iverson, you know, MVP, shorter guy, um, that used his quickness to get around. Steph has the advantage of he's the best shooter I've ever seen. So that skill set will translate with age. Um, but what frees him up is his constant movement and he's running nonstop. And will he be able to maintain that at age 36, 37, still run around two, three and four screens to get an open shot. So watching him go off right now and re-enter into like the MVP discussion, I'm oddly heavily pulling for the Warriors uh, every time I watch and from afar when I can only watch highlights. He's had a pull on me when when they made their historic runs, you know, uh, three four seasons ago. I never hated on the Warriors because he was so much fun to watch and the catalyst for their offense that he was created such a unique identity within the league. And, and now a future generation of kids have emulated Steph and a lot of people chalk it up to, he looks like a player that they could be. He's not super huge. Um, he shoots the ball really well and you know, et cetera. And sure, he's also otherworldly talented and, once again, the best shooter I've ever seen. Um, but I think kids also gravitate towards him, as do fans in general. Uh, the joy with which he plays and also his teammates play is, I think, second to none. Like, you see teammates, you know, celebrate for one another. And champion one another. You know, there's a quote from Boogie uh, came out last night, I believe. So last night or this morning, but I think it was last night. Uh, praising PG. You know, teammates do that. But you can go back from when Bogut was on the Warriors and Steph gets the ball and he goes to shoot a three and Wo Bogut starts celebrating the three a couple seconds before it has left Steph's hand because he enjoys this just as much as we do watching it. There's one from earlier in this, this season where Juan Toscano Anderson throws Steph the ball at the top of the key and then turns away from the fucking play and starts celebrating the fact that the shot is going to go up. Find me another teammate that elicits that uh, from his you know, it, it, the other guys on the floor, the guys on the bench, the bench always goes off, but it's the guys on the floor, man. I've seen it numerous times. And Steph does it for his teammates as well. And now it's bled over into other individuals within the league do it. But it, it 
it's unique to me to them because it feels the most genuine. They're, we've been conditioned to how good he's been um, since he came into the league, but mainly since his he got his ankles right and, and changed his physiology and the way that he runs and all that jazz so he doesn't have the ankle issues, thank God, because otherwise his career would have been shortened. Um, but you get... Once you become accustomed to the absurdity of his shots at times, it's much easier to celebrate him. There's a great clip uh, from, God, what was that, like five years ago, where they're playing the Clippers, and this is when Chris Ball was still on the Clippers, and Steph dribbles through the meat of the defense right above the free throw line. And he turns around and he is dancing between three and four defenders. And he gets to the very top. As soon as he's running away from the basket, he gets past the three-point line, immediately turns, fires up a three. And, you know, spoiler alert, it goes in. But there's a great shot of Steve Kerr on the sidelines. And he's watching all this, and he sees Curry run to the top of the key, you know, 180 no-scope, fire, and he puts his hands up like, what kind of basketball shot is that? And then you, you can't see the ball go in, but what you can see is the entire arena behind him erupt into cheers, and he just puts his hands on his head like, what are you going to do? I I can't say anything if he's going to make it. And, you know, there's a, there's another great one where tie game against uh, Memphis and the, you know, tie game, it's closing out. Uh, Steph gets the ball underneath the other baseline has to run, you know, it's an inbounds and he gets just past halfway and they, they have, they have a timeout if memory serves they have enough time to where hypothetically he could get in closer and get a shot off. And instead he pulls up from, you know, two steps, two long strides from half court and launches a three and his teammates start celebrating practically as soon as it leaves his hands and it is effortless and it is gorgeous. Then it goes right in and they win the game and they all run over to him. Um, and the, I mean, just the joy, just the joy. That's why I love watching Steph. It's seeing how much his teammates root and pull for him um, and how much he does it for them. They've created a culture and an atmosphere where it's so supportive um, that it's a beautiful thing to watch. Like all these, these professionals knowing that they're in the presence of greatness and just might as well enjoy the greatness. So in this, this run since uh, March 29th, you know, these younger guys have gotten a full taste of what previous teammates got to experience for long durations. Um, and now some of them haven't gotten to play with clay and some warriors fans want clay to kind of come back for this season. Um, Although he's already stated, he stated before the season that he was done for this year. 
um, you know, hypothetically, he could come back. We've got about roughly a quarter of the season left. Um, but considering they're not going to be in championship contention, unless he wanted to use it as kind of rehab and to get back into game speed and all that jazz. Um, I don't see the point of it to risk injury, more rest, more time off. It's not going to make, in my opinion, all that much a difference right now. I mean, I'm sure he's itching to play. How can you not be? If any of you play basketball like I am, there's a, my basketball text thread is texting going, they're putting hoops back up around LA. And, you know, half of the crew has gotten their shots. So everybody's waiting on enough people to go out there and run uh, any kind of, even twos or threes, just something, get out there and run again. So I can only imagine when you are as good as someone like Clay and being, you know, a, the top of your profession to have to sit out this long for two back-to-back terrible injuries, but one of them really bad. Um, I don't know that I would rush him back, but in the meantime, hopefully Warriors fans are enjoying, I'm sure they are enjoying this as much as the rest of us. Um, so there it is. It's just watching all this and everybody is right now um, at least discussing this run by Steph for like 10 to 15 minutes on their shows. Um, and it's hard to escape once about like a right around the build out for the discussion for last week's show is when I started thinking about doing a Steph Curry centric show. And then after that game in Philly, I knew that it was going to be the topic of conversation amongst numerous podcasts on uh, Monday. And that, you know, was the case. How could it not be? Uh, and I thought about deviating away from it, but then I started to think of how much longer we're going to get to appreciate this guy on the court. Um, and hopefully to remind you of even if you're not watching the Golden State Warriors or you haven't been a fan, enjoy the greatness while it's around. And especially with this this crop of superstars because the next round coming in, there's some intriguing guys, but it's hard to tell if any of them are really going to be able to take up the mantle of those who are going to be exiting over the next couple, you know, in the next three, four years. Um. I hope I hope that's not the case, but the NBA has an ebb and flow, and there are a bunch of young, interesting guys. I just don't know if there's anybody near at the level just yet, just yet. Luca and Zion, I think, are the closest to being able to capture attention like that. Um, but Zion, I worry about health issues long term. Um, you know, I don't want him to turn into Blake Griffin, and uh, I'm not shitting on Blake Griffin. It's just he was a high flyer that his knees started to go. And once that happened, he's gotten a better shot, but it's not who he was and it's not what we fell in love with. And in, in that is not to say that you can't develop other skills, you know, like LeBron has developed an outside shot, which you need to, uh, the longer you play in the league. But for the longest time, he's like, yeah, back off of him at the three and go ahead and let him shoot. And now that's not the case. You need to get up on him. Um, but anyway, so Another thing to, I guess, start thinking about is the overall discussion of MVP. Now, I'm not quite there yet. I'm going to wait. Uh, but right now, Jokic is the odds-on favorite. Um, 
but it's not like it's leaps and bounds. Embiid has crept back into the discussion. And, uh, you know, two-way player, he is he is a forced, you know, to be reckoned with. But he's already missed 18 games, and I believe he's going to miss tonight's game. Um, So that would be 19. So it becomes a question of at what point do um, the number of games that you've missed, you know, the accumulation of those way against you in the discussion of MVP 18 games in a 72 game season is a tremendous amount. Uh, now if everybody had missed 18 games, okay, well that's a, a horse of a different color, but when Jokic has been so consistent all season long, and yes, he's not the defensive presence that Embiid is, but as I think it was Van Gundy uh, was quoted as saying a long time ago, you know, the best ab ability is availability. So if you can be there every night, well, that is that adds more value to the team overall. But Embiid has crept back in, and he is now second, according to FanDuel. Uh, Giannis is third, Harden is fourth, Lillard is fifth, LeBron is sixth, Luka is seventh, Steph eighth. Chris Paul, 9, Donovan Mitchell, 10, and Kawhi, 11. But the odds are so long on CP3, Donovan Mitchell, and Kawhi that they don't even merit discussion, according to FanDuel. They are double to triple what some of these other guys are, but minimum double of number 8, Curry. But the fact is, once you start to factor in, okay, Giannis, I just don't see voters voting for him after the flame out twice in the playoffs. I realize it is a regular season award, but it does how you do in the playoffs colors the perception eventually of what it means for what you do in the regular season. So I don't think Giannis is really meriting any genuine consideration. You know, he might make top three ballots uh, type of thing, end up number three, but Outside of Milwaukee, I, I don't know of anybody that's going to vote for him, number one. Um, Harden did the poopy pants routine in Houston until he sulked and got his way. And I still think that left a bad taste in a lot of voters' mouths. Coupled with now he's going to be out with the hamstring issue. And they said they're going back to square one on his rehab. So there is no timetable for him going back. So he's out of the discussion. Uh, Lillard is out right now. But that being said, I, I think so long as it's not a prolonged absence, you know, he could very easily be back in this discussion. LeBron, I think, has missed too much time. Uh, and then you have Luca and Steph. So. If Jokic is going to run away with it, then it becomes a question of who's two and three. And there's a lot of ifs, ands, you know, it's like, oh, well, I need to see. It's kind of up in the air. I need to see who plays the most games and how this all pans out before I really, you know, decide if I had a vote, who I would vote for. But I think this one now is if Embiid misses just a couple more games, then at that point he will have missed, you know, 25% of the season and 
it's really tough to give somebody the MVP if there's another deserving candidate that's only missed, you know, 5% of the season. Um, but anyway, that's a discussion for another day, but something to think about. I think a lot of these are kind of something to think about. Uh, D train asked, what's the status on Durant Harden? Uh, Durant's got a contusion of his leg. He's going up for, uh, he was driving to the lane and he got need in his thigh and then sat out the rest of that game. Harden played like four minutes and changed the other night and re-aggravated his hamstring. And uh, Steve Nash has said he'll be out. Uh, there is no timetable. Now that could just be, they need the medical staff to look at him and it's going to be two weeks or that could be indeterminate. No idea. I haven't seen any kind of number assigned to it yet, but I also haven't investigated beyond um, seeing the interview from uh, Steve Kerr or reading quotes rather from the interview uh, of Steve Kerr. I'm, I'm assuming it's a post-game presser. Um, so that's where we're at. But I think the last little chunk of uh, today's show is the race for the top of the West. It's getting surprisingly close. So you have Utah at 43 and 15, Phoenix at 41 and 16, and the Clippers at 41 and 19. Now, right now, the Clippers are playing the best basketball in all of the NBA. And in the last 10, they're nine and one. Um, they're red hot right now and they are nipping at the heels. And if they continue on this pace, you know, and it's not like Phoenix is slouching. They're eight and two in their last 10. Utah is slowing down ever so slightly six and four in their last 10, but they, they have that slight cushion to where perhaps they don't need to keep their foot on the gas the whole time. Um, but the top of the West, you know, I think myself and a bunch of people felt it was a done deal that Utah was just going to maintain this and it's going to be more so discussion of who's going to end up second. And with only a game and a half lead and three games on the Clippers, but a game and a half on Phoenix, this is starting to get really interesting. Um, and if you look at the overall numbers, uh, all three teams are solid as can be. I think uh, Phoenix sits at fourth place in offensive and defensive ratings, which means they're as solid, you know, as solid gets. Um, let's say Utah is sitting apart. Utah is at four and four. Phoenix is at seven in offensive and fifth in defensive. And then I need to look at the Clippers since, you know, uh, of the past like month and a half when they've just turned completely red hot because they're sitting at 11th in defensive and second in offensive. So for the entire season, Utah and Phoenix are more consistent and a better team. If you want to have if you, you know, championship aspirations, you need to be top 10 in both offensive and defense, defensive ratings. There's only been, I think, two exceptions to that in the modern era of basketball. Um, and Brooklyn is trying to make a case for they'll be the third. But at this point, if they were all healthy, I picked them to come out of the East. 
but it's a big fat stinking if. So I, I have no idea. But in the West, I mean, it's it's crazy how interesting this is gonna gonna be over the last you know 12, 14 games, whatever each of these teams has left. Um I'm excited. I weirdly I will be watching. I've watched a lot of Utah this year and I've watched a lot of Clippers, but I haven't watched as much uh, Phoenix. So that's my goal, you know, before the end of the season is watch more Phoenix games to get a sense of who I think is actually uh, going to do well come playoff time and how these teams will match up. Um, but never, I didn't anticipate Phoenix being this good this season. The addition of Chris Paul now as if he wasn't a hall of famer, this really helps cement his legacy that basically no matter where he goes, he turns that team into a better club. They win more games. He puts his stamp for offensive identity onto the team. And, you know, if you go by pace, uh, maybe I can look it up right now really quickly by pace. My guess is Phoenix is on the low end of the spectrum. Um, because that is a Chris Paul kind of staple. We slow the game down. We get into our half-court offense, and uh, we inflict our identity on them. Yeah, so pace by, according to basketball reference, they're 24th in the league in pace. 24. That is a slow fucking team. That being said, once again, they're still top 10 in offensive and defensive rating. And the growth of maturation and maturation of, of Devin Booker and Mikhail Bridges and, uh, you know, Aiden um, has looked solid. Number one overall is always going to hang over him. And that sucks for any number one overall. Either you are the best player from that or it's just a constant discussion of who they could have had. Um, you know, what would this team be like with Luka on it? Uh, that'd be a pretty deadly pairing of Luca and Devin Booker. Although you wouldn't have Chris Paul and would you, would this team be as successful? Who knows? It's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of discussion opening that Pandora's box and there's no real a meat to the argument. Um, but I mean, two other, uh, you know, from that MVP discussion earlier, Kawhi being at 11th, I think him and PG get dinged because they're teammates uh, and they don't, uh, you know, merit the same discussion that other guys do. Although that being said, LeBron is still in this mix with AD as his teammate, but he's LeBron, um, you know, an anomaly in so many different ways. So the, this, this fight in the West, like it's, it's tough to make heads or tails of who I think is going to ultimately take this. Like by, by all kinds of different metrics, individually, you go in, you look at the Utah Jazz, Joe Ingles, Rudy Gobert, and that same stretch, right, that uh, that I was looking at for Curry earlier, which is March 29th until uh, yesterday, um, or last night's games. Joe Ingles, Mike Conley, and Rudy Gobert are, are all in the top 10 for effective field goal percentage. And uh, I think two out of three, if not all three, 
are in the top 10 for true shooting. Three three guys are shooting the ball that way. And Joe Ingles, you know, outside of Joe Harris, there's very few guys I want shooting the ball right now. And he's not even close to their primary. That's how scorching hot he's been. Mike Conley is finally, you know, this season playing like the guy that they traded for and they thought they were going to get. And last year was kind of an anomaly. Um, Mitchell has gotten ever so slightly better. Gobert is their anchor on defense. Bogdanovich was down a little bit, but, uh, you know, shooters got to shoot. And eventually, I think he'll fully leave that slump behind him. And there's a, you know, great quote from Ingles about we need him to keep shooting. So don't worry about the fact that it was right after he had, uh, Bogdanovich had kind of turned a corner and found his stroke again. And Ingles was basically saying what the team felt of, we were never concerned. We know this is what you do. We all have stretches where it's kind of bad and, uh, you know, you'll bounce back. We have, we can buoy you. Uh, and then you got Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench. That's a, that's a potent team. Couple that with the fact that their defense, when you have Rudy Gobert controlling the, the paint and can stymie any real drive in, uh, thereby reducing some of the pressure on your wing defenders because they know that if a guy gets past him, they still got to deal with the stifle tower. So Utah shoots this well. Their defense is a solid. It's hard to pick against them. And then you go, well, then you got Phoenix. It's like, well, Phoenix is, you have the steady nature of Chris Paul. Now, whether that translates in the playoffs or not, finally, I guess we shall see. You know, he was on that Rockets team that was right on the cusp of dethroning the, the Warriors and making it to the finals. And, you know, you have to assume if they beat the Warriors, then they win a championship. And it then alters the way that we view uh, Chris Paul and James Harden in the playoffs. Um, but the rise of Devin Booker, Devin Booker wants nothing more to prove that he is one of the elite true superstars. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's exactly what you want from him. Uh, Mikael Bridges, will he be able to put up no, uh, points in the playoffs? You know, Aiden, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they have enough weapons where it's super interesting. Now we get to the Clippers. And the Clippers of the addition of Rondo really fit in well with them. Um, Paul George is playing excellent basketball right now. Uh, and I'm not knocking uh, Kawhi Leonard, but Paul George, I think as his fate goes, so goes the team. You know, they can have Kawhi is going to get you what Kawhi gets you because Kawhi always gets you that by and large in the playoffs. He is steady Eddie. You know what you're going to get. So Paul George kind of becomes the X factor. And if he plays well, well, now you have the obvious. You have two guys that are all-star and all-NBA caliber individuals, and that is a tough out. I don't care who you are. So this race to the end, uh, plus two, you want to get the seating so you're not um, having to face the Lakers too early who are sitting at five. But you would want to kind of distance yourself from them as best you can. Uh, just if they manage to get back 
to full health, which hypothetically they should, but Anthony Davis still is not in the rotation. Uh, neither is LeBron James. Um, and there's very little time to get them back at this point, if they maintain being held out to get them back into game shape and championship, you know, level contention. But if they both come back healthy, you still have those two to deal with. Plus the championship medal of all the individuals that helped you with your run last year and the additions that you've made. Um, so you want to kind of steer clear of the Lakers, the nuggets. I think you fear the least, even if they have, you know, potential future MVP in Jokic, the loss of Murray. If you watched him in that, say that Utah series last year in the playoffs, the guy lives for the lights. I mean, there's, there's a kind of same old song and dance at this point from Jamal Murray starts the season slow, ends it hot. And, uh, you know, if you got to take two realities, that's what you take. Cause otherwise it's, you know, uh, the Lou wills that, that get cold in the playoffs and, uh, the Clippers are happy to, not happy to, but okay with jettisoning him, jettisoning him, um, because he's no-showed in the playoffs and gone super cold pretty consistently. Whereas Jamal Murray, outside of being gassed a couple of times, you know, having to shoulder so much of the scare, uh, scoring load in Orlando, he looked like he took a leap and he was playing, once we got past the early stages of the season, he was playing like he had made that leap. He's transitioning back into the, you know, the guy that warms up and gets hot again. But without him, you really need MP, MPJ to step up and Aaron Gordon and, um, you know, uh, Facundo Campazzo or Morris or somebody else to be able to fill in at the point guard position competently enough and the other guys pick up the scoring around him, but they were designed to have Murray as, as an integral part of the offense as a whole. So the subtraction of that from the overall equation means to me, it's a house of cards and they have no real, I don't see them winning a championship without him. They could have lost other players and still contended, uh, but to lose him, it's just too much. Portland, no. Fun team, but flawed. Dallas, no. Memphis, no. And then the play-in teams, Golden State and San, and San Antonio, no. So you want to, as those top three seeds, basically you want to steer clear of the Lakers as best you can. So if it ends up, you know, the Lakers get back to, they drop down, they drop down, they drop down, and suddenly you're in that one position and say they're, they end up in the eight, and you're like, son of a gun. Um, I don't see them tumbling that far. That'd be a precipitous drop over these last you know handful of games. But there is that jockeying. But it's, you know, I can't wait to see who ends up as the number one seed. This is going to be an incredible stretch run for these three teams as they all push and maybe I'll be eating my words and Denver continues um, to play well, you know, as Murray's gone down. I mean, they had a, a double OT game, but they pulled it out. The better, you know, the team, better team won. So, all right, that is it for today's dropping dimes. Uh, I want to talk a little Steph love, a little race in the West. 
and uh, an early discussion of MVP. I think the the more interesting one to me this year is potentially coach of the year. Uh, you know, we'll see how this all pans out, but there are several candidates that you can make a solid case for. Um, yeah, it's tough. I'm just looking at the standings and then thinking about the construct of the teams and the difference between, is it personnel from last year to this year, or is it a new voice, a new direction, a new system? Um, and there's several teams where you can make the case where that it's, it's the new voice in the new system. They have roughly the same personnel that they had last year and now suddenly they are markedly better um anyway discussion for a different day that is it for dropping dimes today uh thank you to, to everybody that tuned in uh i appreciate it i hope everybody out there is doing well staying safe and uh i will see you guys uh next week for another edition of dropping dimes you can follow me anywhere at matt nost and uh, that is it for today I'll see you guys next week. Adios.